It was 4.45 p.m. when the final bell mercifully rang out at Manhattan's Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Hundreds of young immigrant workers tidied up their stations, anticipating a hard-earned weekend. In mere minutes, their American dreams would be engulfed in flames and wrenched from them forever. Buckle up and brace for impact. You're listening to Disasterthon, where catastrophe is always on the schedule. Today we dive into the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire of 1911. The Triangle Shirtwaist Factory produced ladies' blouses, known as shirtwaists, which were very popular at the turn of the 20th century. According to Triangle, The Fire That Changed America by David Von Drell, the shirtwaist took its name from its resemblance to a man's dress shirt. It featured button fronts, stiff detachable collars, and long sleeves finished with tight buttoned cuffs. For anyone wearing one, the effect was tall, elegant, and graceful. The factory itself employed around 500 workers, mostly young immigrant women in their late teens and early 20s from Italy, Eastern Europe, and Russia's Jewish enclaves who had recently embarked on lives in America, hoping to earn steady wages to support themselves and sometimes their families back home. They worked long days, from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. during the week, plus half days on Saturdays. The monotonous job of sewing ladies' blouses on industrial machines in cramped loft space for only around $7 to $15 per week. It was grueling labor under pressure of supervisors demanding maximum output. Historians underscore that this tragedy sprang as much from the merciless economic forces exploiting an immigrant underclass as from the convergence of hazardous workplace conditions and neglect of safety precautions. The victims of the Triangle Inferno were some of New York's most vulnerable. The casualty list, a reflection of inequality and the imbalance of power. The exact cause of the fire remains unknown, though historians and investigators point to several likely possibilities. Although the official report was inconclusive, most experts agree that the likely cause was a lit cigarette or match accidentally dropped into a bin of scraps and rags somewhere on the eighth floor. There had reportedly been another smaller fire at the factory just one year earlier in 1910 that had alerted many to the dangers of fire hazards and lack of precautions. It was common for workers to smoke at their machines as a way to make the grueling days a bit more bearable, with matches and cigarettes casually carried in pockets or tossed into scrap piles. Furthermore, the State Bureau of Labor and Safety Investigation also raised the possibility of faulty electric wiring sparking flames that then swiftly spread between all the fabric scraps and clothes material scattered about. or 
that the fire could have been started intentionally by a recently laid-off angry employee, though that was largely dismissed as unlikely. With so many flammable materials, like cotton shirtwaists and bits of fabric strewn about, a cramped space lacking sprinklers and where smoking regularly occurred, it unfortunately did not take much to spark a horrific tragedy once those initial flames erupted and began consuming everything in their path on March 25, 1911. As the flames began to swallow its surroundings, panicked seamstresses rushed toward the exits only to find the doors locked, a common practice used by supervisors to minimize break-ins and thefts. Kate Leone, a bookkeeper at the company who survived the fire, later testified, I rushed to the door. It was locked. I rushed to the next door. It too was locked. Just imagine for a moment, feeling the intense heat of the fire, the smoke blackening your vision and burning your lungs. You rush to the nearest exit, a fire escape perhaps, and you find it locked as if fate was taunting you. Kate Leone continues, I stood there hypnotized for a moment and then I rushed to the windows. As I looked up, they began jumping from the ninth floor. I jumped back into the room with smoke quickly filling up floors and visibility fading, women desperately smashed windows, seeking air to breathe. The window panes cracked, Fanny Lansner, a pattern maker, recalled. The loosened window sashes permitted some ventilation, which kept alive the last few minutes of struggling for locked-in workers. Triangle employee Morris Paulson described the scene. I could see girls were throwing themselves from the window. The other girls were all crowded around the windows. Just about this time, the platform was crushed in with people jumping on it. Those who made it to the interior open elevator soon found themselves in a frightening spot. The elevator that was supposed to carry them to safety. But instead, it plunged from the ninth floor into the basement, killing everyone inside. The harrowing loud thud after the detached carriage plummeted to the earth was a welcome reprieve to the prior screams from those inside. To make matters worse, many who did manage to reach the ground floor safely surged toward a door on Washington Place that opened inward, making their exit impossible against the crush of bodies trying to flee. Emergency responders tried breaking open the door from the outside but it was too late for most. For the few lucky workers who did escape the walls of fire found a new horror waiting for them outside. I learned a new sound that day, the thud of a speeding body on a stone sidewalk, said onlooker William Shepard. Scores of women jumped from all three floors over 100 feet to the hard pavement below rather than face the flames. It was a freezing cold day noted a New York Times reporter recording the tragedies in 1911. The onlookers were mostly women, and they could not stand the horror and fled from the sight. They were lifted as though by mighty hands and hurled to death, because inside it was impossible to get down the stairs. Though it inflicted tremendous damage, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire itself lasted less than 30 minutes, in less than a half hour, 
146 lives were lost and a pivotal shift begun in labor laws and perceptions of industrial working conditions. Due to highly flammable cloth materials throughout the factory floors, open windows dispersing air currents, lack of fire breaks or automatic sprinklers, and locked doors obstructing exit routes, the blaze tore through the top three levels with immense speed and intensity. By 4.45 p.m., it had already spread from the 8th to 9th and 10th floors as panicked workers rushed to escape. And by 5 p.m., with rescue crews on scene, the worst was over as the last flames flickered out, leaving mainly just wreckage and smoke behind. In the immediate aftermath, the city responded with shock, mourning, and demands for accountability. Large public funerals were held and attended by over 100,000 grieving community members. Labor groups and progressive activists marched for reform and justice. Investigations were launched into the factory conditions that hastened such disaster. And the victims came to symbolize the dangerous exploitation of immigrants and the working class in unsafe environments lacking adequate protections. The factory owners, Max Blanc and Isaac Harris, had managed to survive the fire after fleeing to the roof when it began and climbing to a neighboring building. They were indicted on first and second degree manslaughter charges for locking the exit doors, though they were later acquitted in a controversial trial. While some viewed it as a failure of the justice system, the fire at least brought widespread public awareness to the unsafe working conditions and helped catalyze major improvements in regulations around factory safety requirements, mandatory fire drills, dedicated exits and escape routes in tall buildings, and ultimately, the growth of the International Ladies Garment Workers Union. Over a century later, the victim's sacrifice reminds us of the often preventable perils faced by marginalized immigrant and working classes. By bearing witness to the terrified final moments of those seamstresses, jumpers, and fire victims, we uphold a duty to demand that no one enduring harsh labor conditions face such needless calamity again. We've made it to the end of another treacherous trek through tragedy. Join us next time on Disasterthon, where we'll face even more havoc head on.